Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. This morning, our message begins by my reading from verses 4 through 15 of Luke chapter 8. Beginning in verse 4, the word of God reads, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the, on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. I'll start by telling you about a a Saturday morning that opened oddly for the husband and a father of a home. He found on that Saturday morning that his wife was cold-shouldering him, and his daughter just clung to her mama. He even tried to call his very own mother, but she wouldn't pick up the phone. The man could only enjoy the silence for so long before He finally became overwhelmed by the obvious tension that was originating from his family. So he decided it was best to intervene. This is how he did so. He said, babe, what's up? Today's so different than yesterday. I mean, just yesterday you were telling me that you love me. You were telling me that I'm amazing. You were telling me that I should go out with my friends after work. And I did exactly like you told me. You said that I didn't need to worry. You said that you could take care of everything yourself. You told me that I could be back when I wanted to. And you know, midnight is is a respectable hour to come home for an adult like me. I don't get why you're so mad. You even told me that I could expect breakfast to be waiting by the bed when I got home. And when I got home, nothing was there. Do you see me holding that against you? 
Now, his wife contemplated her options like it was a game of clue upon hearing this. Where would it be and with what blunt instrument would she bring about her husband's demise, she wondered. And she took a deep breath and she decided that she would be best served by using her words. And she said, that's what you heard when I spoke to you yesterday? And he says, yeah, that's exactly what I heard. And she said, that's interesting because what I remember telling you was, you know, I love you, but you're a slob. You've got to start cleaning. It's amazing how lazy you've become. I miss the days where you'd lend a hand around the house. So can you actually step up a little? And by the way, I've got to be back late tonight. So don't even think that you can go out with your friends. And don't forget to call your mother because she's worrying about you. And in case you didn't know it, I'm swamped at work today. And I can't take care of everything myself. Susie, our daughter, in case you forgot her name, she's going to be home right after school. And when she does, make her what she actually wants to eat for dinner. Not what you want to eat so she doesn't puke like she did after you made breakfast yesterday. Please be there and wait for her to finish. And please sit by the bed until she falls asleep. And then the wife asks, how in the world did you hear what you say out of that. Do any of y'all remember how Law and Order used to, to build intrigue for a new episode by saying something like, rip from the headlines in their promos? Well, if that little story feels like it hits too close to home, it's just coincidence, okay? I promise. But I should also add that right now is the time to, sele- to set your selective listening aside for our next few minutes together, okay? See, Jesus is teaching us this morning in parable. Or if you will, Jesus is teaching us in a short story that uses imagery and metaphor to communicate some meaning. And if you notice with me, there in the middle of the passage is something that stands out as odd if we're tuned in at all. At the end of preaching this parable to the great crowd that surrounded him, Jesus says in verse 8, He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. And we might wonder, what is it that Jesus is saying when he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear? Can you imagine being in the crowd that day, hearing this from the lips of our Lord Jesus, and then reaching to grab your ears and asking and elbowing the person next to you, saying, does it look like we don't have ears? I mean, we can clearly hear what the man's saying. Well, this has nothing to do with the ability of men and women, nor nothing to do with the ability of boys and girls then or even now to audibly hear the parable of Jesus. But it has everything to do with how people come to receive the kingdom seed that is the word of God as it's preached to them. See, Jesus' diagnoses that how you hear or rather how you receive the word proclaimed reveals the nature of of your heart. Like the verse about ears, I'm going to ask what might seem to be a really odd question to begin our time this morning. What kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart do you have? Because what we'll find in our time together is that there are four different kinds of hearts that you and I can have when it comes to receiving the Word of God. Four different kinds. We'll work through them, okay? The first kind of heart that you might have is a hard heart. A hard heart. 
Now, this represents a person who may be here today or may be listening to me on the internet. You're hearing the word of God because I'm preaching it. But my words are like my hunting story that opened last week's message. It goes in one ear and right out the other. God's word rolls off your back, rolls, rolls off you like water off a duck's back. You don't consider yourself necessarily to be hard-hearted, but you just really aren't interested in the word of God. Your heart is, is like a pathway that's been trampled down until the dirt is hard packed. What you are hearing today may be entering your ears, but it doesn't make it from your ears to your heart. And you need to know that there is something happening right now, something going on right now that is absolutely invisible to the human eye. And it, it makes it even harder to receive the word of God. Jesus says that Satan tries to steal the word from you. Just picture for a moment what it might have been like casting seed in order to plant in a field. It was common to see a flock of birds swarming around a farmer as he tossed his seed out. And the birds knew that some of the seed would fall on the packed down earth. And they would come and they'd swoop down and they'd eat that seed. It's in the same way that the devil stands ready to steal the word away from people as soon as they hear it. I mean, don't ever be surprised if you have trouble concentrating when you're reading the Bible or when you're hearing the Bible taught. One of the enemy's most effective strategies is distraction. Right now, at this very moment, Satan would love nothing more than for you to be distracted by something going on in this building, something going on in the screens, something that might have happened in the choir in our time before, or being distracted by the people who are around you. Why? Because the devil is actively attempting to steal the word of God away from you. So we might have a hard heart. Another heart that we see in this text is a shallow heart. I believe most people present today are not of the hard-hearted variety because many of those folks, frankly, never come to church. And most of you at least have a Bible open right now, and many of you are taking notes. However, it's very easy to slip into the category of a shallow heart. Notice that Jesus said these people receive the word with joy. They react with an emotional acceptance of the word. They listen and they're happy to hear the word of God. They're the type that smile and shout amen. And they even uh, shed a few tears of joy on Sunday. But for those, by Tuesday morning, they're downcast. They're defeated. The emotional uh, mountain they climbed on Sunday, it's gone. And the commitment that they made on Sunday, well, it's gone too. They're the, the yes and the no types. Or saying it another way, they're like a soda bottle that was opened right after it was all shook up. It fizzles everywhere for a minute, and then after that it just lays flat. This is a real warning to us about the danger of basing your Christian faith on your emotions. Some people think the reason they come to church is just to get happy, and then they hope that they can get a, enough happiness to last them through the week so that when they come the following Sunday, they just come and refill the bottle. And I'll tell you, it's an interesting thing to hear feedback about a message you preach. I mean, there's some Sundays that some folks will tell me with tears in their eyes, you know, Pastor, that was the most wonderful message I've heard in my entire life. And when I hear those, there's a cynic in me that, that begins to think that it, the lunchtime conversation involves someone saying, why doesn't he always preach like that? 
Well, as your pastor, it's not my desire to only touch your emotions. My call as your pastor is to to work towards building a healthy, strong, a church filled with healthy, strong, fully devoted, mature followers of Jesus Christ. And some of you will think after today's message, well, you know, that was nice, but it was nothing like last week. And guess what? I know that and I believe that God has called me to be a pastor to consistently feed you what is the meat of the Word of God. Sunday after Sunday. I mean, we all love ice cream, don't we? But if we eat ice cream at every meal, it's going to get old really quick. Christmas is wonderful. But if Christmas were every day, it would be disappointing. And be careful that you don't come to church just looking for a thrill. That's what Six Flags is for. Don't, Don't get me wrong. I believe that we should love God with our entire being. We should love God with with our mind, with our wills, with our emotions. But your emotions are the shallowest, shallowest part of your soul. And you may be wondering, well, what's wrong with an emotional faith? I want to feel good about God. Well, let's let Jesus tell us what's wrong with this kind of attitude. If we look at and are concerned with what Jesus actually says about this, he tells us, that an emotional faith doesn't stand up under the heat. He speaks of the trouble and testing that comes in our lives, and we find that an emotionally-based faith won't pass the test. In this parable, the plant has no root, so when the heat came, there was no depth, and so the plant withered and died. And when the heat gets turned up in your life, you need more than just an emotional faith. You need deep roots. I wonder right now, are you rooted and grounded in the Word of God? For example, through the ministry of this church, there are many ways in which you can become rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Attending worship like you are right now is but one opportunity. Do you attend a Sunday school class? If you're new here, I hope you listen to the announcements and will have signed up before you leave today for the Discovering First class we'll have next week. That class will help you get rooted and grounded in the Word of God. The massive, if you think think about these, the massive redwood trees that are out west are majestic to see. They soar to amazing heights. But surprisingly, those trees have short, weak roots. And the reason that they can stand and that they can survive the elements is because the roots of each of the trees are intertwined with the roots of the trees around them. That's why you would never see a redwood tree standing alone. A single redwood tree cannot support itself. It needs the other trees around it to stand. And friends, that is a beautiful picture in God's creation of what the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be. That's one reason why it's absolutely imperative for you to attend church. I want to invite the folks watching online. Come be here next Sunday. It's imperative that you do. It has nothing to do about receiving God's forgiveness in exchange for your attendance. But I will tell you unapologetically that you have to attend church to be a strong, growing, maturing Christian. You have to. So there's a shallow heart. There's also a crowded heart. Now, this is just my opinion. I don't often share opinion from the pulpit, but my opinion is that this third category has more people in it than the first two combined. 
This represents the kind of attitude that hears the word, receives the word. It's word that is watered. It is word that is nurtured. And the person really begins to grow as a Christian. I believe this person has a genuine desire to to be that deeply rooted, maturing Christian. But somewhere along the way, their, their growth process is interrupted. They simply allow their lives to become so crowded with other interests that the impact of the word of God gets choked out. Now, there's a limited amount of moisture if you think about actual soil, earth. There's a limited amount of moisture and nutrients in soil. And so when things come along like weeds and thorns, they begin to compete with the otherwise good plants. And Jesus is warning us that there are some things in our lives that will compete with the Word of God. If you are not careful, they will choke out the effectiveness of the Word of God in your life. And he mentions three of these these plants or three of these weeds in the passage. And as you hear them from me, I'm inviting you to ask yourself if any of these weeds are present and strangling the word in your life. The first way in which God's word can be strangled is by worries. By your worries. You may not know this, but our English word worry comes from the German word vergen, which means to choke. And worry is when the devil puts a a mental and emotional choke on you. And I'm convinced that the most prevalent sin amongst Christians is worry. The, the two cate- there are two categories in trouble of, in, of trouble in life. One category is those things that you cannot do anything about. And the other category are those things in which you can do something about. And thinking about those things, if you can't do something about your trouble, then why worry? And if you can do something about your trouble, why worry? Do something about it. I mean, my attitude about worry can be summarized with this little poem. It goes like this. For every evil under the sun, either there is a cure or there's none. If there be one, seek till you find it. If there be none, never mind it. God's word can be strangled by worries in your life. God's word can also be strangled by wealth. Now, a, a better or another way in which this is translated is found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, where as Matthew gives this account of this event and the teaching of this parable, we find Jesus warns about the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Now, I need you to know that there is nothing inherently evil in wealth, but wealth can fool you. It can deceive you. It it can give you a false sense of security. It can give you a false sense of personal worth. It can deceive you into thinking that you can buy your way into any situation. It can give you a false sense of of security that you can buy yourself out of any situation. You may know him as the one in whom they called the king. Now there's even a Netflix series about him. But on August 16, 1977, Elvis Presley died from complications of drug usage. Some say about him that he had it all. And each year, even through this year, there will be 250,000 people who go and tour his home that's known as Graceland. You can go there and you can see his motorcycles, his Cadillacs, his toys, his gold records. You can see his jets. One of them is named Hound Dog 2, and the other one is named Lisa Marie. 
Elvis loved to fly around the country late at night just to get things like specialty ice cream or a special kind of peanut butter that you could only find in Denver. It was Elvis's younger stepbrother, whose name is Rick Stanley, is a man who's spoken at churches several times. And Rick said that he thought that Elvis really loved Jesus at one time in his life. Rick said that, that he, uh, Elvis's favorite style of music was always gospel music. But his stepbrother said that Elvis's biggest mistake was that he allowed his fame, he allowed all the money, and he allowed all the success to choke out the word of God in his life. Elvis died sad, he died lonely, but you better believe he was surrounded by all his wealth. And that is a sad testimony of a person who allowed the word of God to be choked out of his life. Now, you don't have to be rich, nor do you have to be famous like Elvis for that to happen. If you love gold more than God, the word's going to get choked out. And for some of you, Jesus has just become one of several many good interests in your life. You've looked at it like, I'm going to add God, I'm going to add Jesus to the aspects of my life. That's not how this works. This is how this really works. If Jesus is not Lord of all in your life, He's not your Lord at all. That's a reality. The Word of God can be strangled by wealth. God's Word can also be strangled by wants. Jesus referred to these things as pleasures. It just means that loving the things the world has to offer. And one of the biggest enemies you'll ever face in spiritual warfare is busyness. We all lead such busy, cluttered lives that it's becoming ever more so difficult to concentrate on the Word of God. And it's getting more difficult with, with each passing day. Life's getting more complicated. I mean, for instance, growing up, we only had five television stations for, for which we can choose from, and it depended on which way we turned the antenna, okay? I had three one way, two the other. That's what it was growing up. Now forget satellite these days. We stream from at least a dozen different subscription sources now. It used to be church on Sunday and Wednesday. Now other organizations and sports teams are even expecting you to be there while church is going on. And the sad thing about this attitude is that the hearer really wanted to receive the word. The hearer really wanted to be fruitful. He, he isn't hard-hearted. He's not shallow-minded. He just got too busy. I mean, can someone like this be a child of God, we wonder? Well, you nor I get to judge hearts, only God does, but it's reasonable to conclude that the answer to that question is probably. Well, what's the downside then, we wonder? Well, the downside is what we see Jesus observing in verse 14. He says of those who have had the word of God choked out of their lives, that their fruit does not Mature. A busy, distracted, overextended Christian is doomed to a sad life of perpetual spiritual immaturity. There is one more type of heart, and that is a teachable heart. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that this fourth attitude, this teachable heart, is the ideal that Jesus is commending to us in this parable. That it's the goal for which every disciple of Christ should strive. I wonder right now, would you like to have an open, teachable heart? It doesn't come automatically. It is something that must be cultivated. 
And I want to talk about how to cultivate a teachable heart right now. And I recognize that unless you grew up on a farm, you may not know what the word cultivate even means. It does not mean to plow. It does not mean to plant or to reap. According to a dictionary, cultivate means to prepare or to prepare and use for the raising of crops. It also means to loosen or breaking up the soil for growing plants. The farming word has come to mean for you and I in common talk, the development of a preference. In other words, you might hear someone say, you know, I have cultivated a taste for country music. In order to be a good listener of the word and to have a teachable heart, that's something that we have a responsibility in our walk with Christ to cultivate. We see in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, the word of God say this. He says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. I'll tell you, the other day I was complaining to my yard man about the, the weeds in my front yard. I'm my own yard man, so yes, I was in my front yard talking to myself this week. I said, I told myself, unless you get in there and remove those weeds, they're going to take over the yard. Now, something I've learned in having various properties in my life, you don't have to do anything to, to find weeds in your yard. You don't have to intentionally plant them. They just show up. They grow up on their own. You don't have, but you do have to intentionally remove them or they're going to choke out what's good in your yard or your field. And when you get in there and you dig out most of the weeds, you'll find that the better things can grow. Now, weeds are living plants, and it's, it's not that I hate weeds or anything. It's just that I love actual turf grass better. And if you love the Word of God, and if you love the God of the Word supremely, you'll be willing to cultivate a teachable attitude by breaking up the hard soil of your heart. So, if you'd like to have a teachable heart that receives the Word of God, then you would be one who wants your heart to be like that soft, fertile soil. A soil that can produce a bumper crop of unfailing love. And I want to give you four practical ways to cultivate this kind of attitude. The first way is to hunger for the Word. It's the psalmist who says in Psalm 119, verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And I wonder, as you assess yourself, do you have a voracious appetite and a desire to, to read and hear God's Word? Sadly, many of us, many of you, are, are more interested in your next meal than you are in hearing the Word of God, hearing from God. I mean, do you have hobbies? Do you have activities? Or do you have other things in your life that you enjoy much more than hearing from God? The French have an interesting phrase. When you sit down to eat a meal, they exchange a phrase that says, bon appetit, which if you do not know, it means good appetite. And you might wonder, why don't they say good food? It's because they understand that your enjoyment of a meal is directly related to the intensity of your appetite, not necessarily the quality of the food. Remember, these are people who eat snails, right? Okay, bon appetit. If you haven't eaten in two days, a bowl of soup tastes heavenly. But on the other hand, you can't sit down to the finest meal prepared by the most talented chef in the United States. You can sit down to that type of meal 
But if you've eaten three Big Macs before that, you're not really going to enjoy the fine meal, are you? Why? Because you're already full. And you may not hunger for the Word of God because you're already full of something else. And so I ask you, how is your appetite for the Word of God? And the reason some of you aren't really fed by the Word says much more about your lack of spiritual appetite than about the quality of the food. I mean, for example, a person who truly hungers for the Word never finds themselves asking on Saturday night, you know, am I going to go to church tomorrow morning? A person who hungers for the Word never asks that. Now, that's a question that is as silly as asking, am I going to eat today? If you hunger for the Word, your only question on Saturday night is, what time am I leaving for church? You aren't coming here because you have friends. You come because you have a hunger for the Word of God. And that kind of hunger must be cultivated intentionally. Hunger for the Word. Another aspect is hearing the Word aggressively. And at this moment, some of you are aggressively listening. I can look out and see that. I can equally see that some of you are only passively hearing. Do you, do you read the Word or do you come to church and cock your ear heavenward so as to hear the voice of your Master? I mean, sadly, I look upon the faces of people every Sunday who don't seem to be really listening for God. Some people come into church and they, they cross their arms and they put mental signs around their necks that say, do not disturb. That's why when Jesus finished the parable, he issued the challenge, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Not everyone really listens to God. Not everyone wants to hear from God. It's a Bible paraphrase who, who puts verse 8 this way. It says, are you really listening to this? Are you listening? What you listen to matters. This is a lot. Pastor Chuck Swindoll tells a story. He says, an Indian was walking in downtown New York City alongside a friend who was a resident of the city. And right in the center of Manhattan, the Indian seized his friend's arm and he whispers, he says, wait, I hear a cricket. And his friend says, come on, man. This is downtown Manhattan. There's taxis screaming by, laying on the horn. And you're saying, you hear a cricket? You can't possibly hear a cricket. And the Indian insists. He says, wait a minute. And they stopped, and the Indian walks down to the end of the block where there's a large cement planter where a tree is growing, and he digs into the mulch, and he pulls out a cricket. And he lifts the thing above his head. He says, see, here's the cricket I told you I could hear. And his friend walks over to the planter where the Indian is. He says, how in the world could you hear a cricket in the middle of downtown Manhattan? And the Indian says, well, it simply depends on what you're listening for. He says, here, let me show you. He reaches into his pocket. He pulls out some quarters and nickels and dimes. And he holds them right about waist level. He says, now watch. He drops those coins right on the sidewalk. And the minute that they hit the cement and you hear the clank and the cling, every head within that block turns around in the direction of the sound of the coins. Everything depends on what you're listening for. When you're reading the Bible or you're hearing it taught, do you aggressively, aggressively tune your ear to listen for God? 
There may be two of you sitting right next to each other in this room, and one of you saying, yes, Lord, I hear you. Thank you. And the other of you right now is looking at his watch and saying, how much longer is he going to keep me trapped? Are you really listening? You can also hang on to the word. In verse 15, Jesus said that a good listener not only hears the word, but also retains the word. And it's important to hang on to the word of God. And there are two ways that you can go about hanging on. First is you can work on memorizing passages of scripture. The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Another way to retain the word is to take notes when you hear the word taught. Studies, countless studies have shown that 24 hours after you hear something and all you've done is hear it, you're only going to remember at best 10% of what you heard. But if you take notes, then you'll be able to recall over 40% of what you heard. It's Albert Einstein who, who I think was correct when he said, a short pencil is better than a long memory. And it, I mean, if a doctor came to your hospital room right after you had surgery and tells you, look, you're going to be able to go home today, but there are three things I need you to do to get well. You'd be lying to me if you, if you told me that you did not scramble for a pen and a paper to write those three things down. That's a good way to hang on to the word of God as well. It's more than simply filling in a few blanks, by the way. Try to write down everything helpful God reveals to you. It may be something totally different than what I'm saying. I've heard that. You can, you can even replay these messages anytime you want on Facebook or YouTube. And you can even read a written manuscript of all my messages if you go to our Church Center app and click on Sermon Manuscripts. A teachable heart hears the word and a teachable heart retains the word. A teachable heart also helps others hear the word. Jesus said a teachable heart is like a fertile soil that produces a crop that reproduces itself a hundredfold. Good soil not only produces crops, it produces more seed that can be replanted. And one way to know for certain that you have a teachable heart is when you're producing enough fruit to plant seeds of the word yourself. Consider the, the picture that comes from Psalm 126, verse 6, which reads, He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Friends, when you have a teachable heart, your heart is so broken for those who don't know the Lord Jesus, you literally weep as you plant seeds of the word. But are you a seed planter? And by the way, did you notice in the parable that the farmer was so generous with his seed that he didn't only plant his seed in the fertile ground? He tossed the seed everywhere. He tossed it everywhere knowing that 100% of the seed would not find fertile soil. Why? Because the farmer knew that the Word of God is a powerful force and you can spread it around generously. So don't be stingy with it. We've got to tell everyone, right? I mean, there are hundreds of ways to plant seeds. Hundreds of ways, thousands of ways. From passing out Bibles, to sharing gospel tracts. I know many of y'all know Brother Mike Alvarez in our congregation. He's become famous for sharing his million-dollar tract with anyone who'll take it. He'll go up and say, hey, can I give you a million bucks? It's a, it's a green thing that says a million dollars on it. And everyone's like, sure, I'll take a million bucks from you. He says, hey, if I could give you something that's worth more than a million bucks, would you, would you let me tell you about it? And he goes and presents the gospel right there. 
A couple years ago, I bought these, these red covered tracks that says, Who is Jesus? Do you know who I pass them out to more than anybody? I pass them out to the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses that are scooting around our streets. Why? Because they have no clue who Jesus Christ is. And all we're doing is just planting seeds. And Brother Mike nor I will never be surprised if we're in eternity and we encounter someone who says, I was saved from a cult by reading a gospel tract because I learned who Jesus Christ really is. Our online stream that we've had for years now, it scatters seeds all over the world. Literally. There's a pastor from the Philippines who regularly sends this church encouragements right after he watches our service. When you share our posts with, with your friends, you're scattering seeds. But I'll tell you, the best way to know that you have the right kind of heart is when you aren't only interested in hearing the word. It's when you're heeding the word of God and when you're helping others hear the word of God. See, the seed of the word is so powerful, all you have to do is plant it. God's going to do the rest. There's a gentleman named Dr. Gaylord Kambarami. He was the general secretary of the International Bible Society in Zimbabwe. And there was one day that he found himself passing out New Testaments, and he encountered a very skeptical man who was just pushed back on the idea of receiving the New Testament from him. The man told him if he took the Bible, that he'd just tear out the pages and roll them up and make cigarettes. Dr. Kambarami told him to go ahead and do that. But before he could roll that paper into a cigarette, the man had to promise that he would read each page before he'd do it. It's a true story, by the way. Years later, Dr. Kambarani met the man at a Christian convention. And the scripture-smoking man had been saved and was now an evangelist himself. And his testimony, that scripture-smoking man, was this. The man told how he had received a New Testament just to have paper to make cigarettes. And he says... You know, I smoked my way all the way through Matthew and Mark and Luke. But when I got to John 3.16, I couldn't roll that cigarette anymore. I got right on my knees, and that's when Jesus changed my life. Now, we've been in a sermon series called Faithful and Not Faithless since last week. I need you to know that growing into faithfulness and our Christian walk involves seriously assessing the question that we started at the outset. What kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart do you have today? Is it a hardened heart? Is it a shallow heart? Is it, is it an overcrowded heart? Will you make a new commitment today to cultivate your heart to become more teachable? Will you strive to be rooted deeply in the faith? Will you weed out some of the things that are strangling the word in your life? Will you become someone who's actively planting the word everywhere you go? I'll tell you, this passage means the world to me. Because 21 years ago, I met the Lord in the ministry of preaching under this very text. I walked into that church service that Sunday morning hard-hearted, and I was focused on everyone and everything but God. And yet by the end of that service, by the end of that message, I found myself longing for God to transform my heart so that his kingdom seed would find fertile soil. See, no matter where you've been, 
no matter what you've done, no matter whatever you might have thought, you're never too far gone. The Spirit of Jesus Christ can transform you. Got to surrender to Him, though. It's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus only. Commit your life to Him, surrender your heart to Him. Find yourself with a heart that's been transformed and fertile to receive his kingdom seed. And to God be the glory in what he will do in and through you. Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.